Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Okay, we have a very fascinating show today. Not that they all aren't fascinating, but I am so excited because I never really realized how much there was to know and think about when it came to our periods. Really, there is so much. And I would actually love to hear what you think about today's show after you've listened to it. If you've learned anything or want to discuss anything more about a topic that we just couldn't deep dive into, or even if you hated it, I'm down to hear anything you have to say. Remember, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me, but I have that new website up now at www.speakpipe.com backslash behind the bite. Go there, send me a voice message. Uh, love hearing from you guys. But that being said, I am really excited to introduce today's guest. Cynthia Donovan is a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 10 years of experience in the field. She serves women with hypothalamic amenorrhea, a mouthful, and helping them get their period back, restore their health, and find balance with food and exercise, and it's her passion and main focus in her practice. Since founding the Eat to Regain Your Period program in April 2020, she's worked with hundreds of women in helping them get their period and their life back. And when she's not serving women across the world with period recovery, you can find her with her two loves of her life, her sons, Brian and Brayden. Well, Cynthia, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Christina. Well, I am too. And I have to say, I have not had this topic on the podcast. And so, you know, how exciting. I, I always get excited when we have like a whole new topic on. So, and you are the expert at this. And so, you know, it's it's so unusual to find someone who's like the expert in periods. So, um, yeah. And I people are probably like, how much can you talk about a period? But there's a lot, right? So much, like so much. Um, and wherever you want me to start, I am happy to do that. But yes, I am an expert mostly in hypothalamic amenorrhea. So we're going to just use the term HA and I guess the textbook definition of that is, and I'm going to to read it actually from a definition off of Google, and then I'm going to break it down and like more simplistic terms. Um, And so hypothalamic amenorrhea is a condition whereby a woman does not get her period due to abnormality of the release of the gonadotrophin releasing hormone. Sorry. I don't, I don't usually come out with the, um, the very sciencey definition. So excuse my, my language, but it's also short for G N. RH. And so 
anyways, to say what this really is, HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, is pretty much a condition attributed to poor diet, so lack of eating enough um, stress and usually too much exercise. So we're going to just use the very easy term of it, and we're going to call it HA for context. And yes, you know, I'm... I'm definitely an expert in periods, um, but I don't uh, talk much about like painful periods. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that is, um, I can't even remember, endometriosis. Um, I'm not a specialist in polycystic ovarian syndrome, even though I do know stuff about that. So missing periods in relation to not eating enough and exercising too much and mental stress is my area of expertise. So yeah. That was like a big mouthful, right? And and I'm glad you said that disclaimer because I have had the topics of PCOS on here. And so this is something, you know, people um, who have eating disorders, this is something that, you know, we use as a diagnostic criteria typically for anorexia nervosa is like the missing period. Um, And usually when the period comes back, we say, okay, so maybe... They're more nourished. They, they're feeding their body again. And when it's the period's gone, they're not feeding their bodies enough, right? That's a sign and a symptom. Um, so much like you just mentioned, right? They're not feeding their bodies enough. And that's related. Um, so maybe some people listening can relate to that. Um, so absolutely. And do I do want to say, Christina, that um, PCOS. Many women that have HA are often, I don't have percentages, but it happens a lot, especially in my practice. It happened to me that they're diagnosed with PCOS, but it's really HA. So um, if you're listening, you're like, oh, you know, my doctor diagnosed with me with PCOS and you are really in alignment with what you're going to hear me talk about today, then it's worth exploring that diagnosis. Um, and it's also also worth exploring if you can't get your doctor's I guess, okay with it or um, diagnosis or whatever, that um, it's something that you need to put in yourself like, all right, well, this all lines up. This makes sense. Do I really need somebody else to confirm this or do I feel in my gut that this is something I am struggling with? Um, so, cause unfortunately a lot of, a lot of medical professionals aren't aware of HA and what it really means. And just like you said, it, it is often used as a diagnostic criteria for women with anorexia nervosa. However, many medical professionals will say, oh, you're a normal BMI. You're, you know, healthy. You, no, 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 you can't have HA, um, which you can have HA at any body size. So whether it be, you know, BMI less than 19.5 or BMI above 25. So I just want to kind of put that disclaimer out there that um, a lot of women, you know, if you feel, again, you resonate with what I'm saying, don't take that PCOS diagnosis because a lot of times that PCOS diagnosis, old school treatment of that is restriction of carbohydrates, more exercise, really watching your diet, which us women with HA or disordered eating or eating disorders don't need any more of that. Right. And, you know, even the, the, 
the topic of BMI coming up on here. So like, if anyone has listened, knows like I have such a beef with the BMI, but I know the medical doctors and community still use that as criteria for <laughs> determining all sorts of things, unfortunately, <sighs> uh, which is awful. Yes. But Yes. And that's a different podcast episode. We can go on and on about that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I know people hear these criteria and that's what determines all sorts of things out there in mm. the world. And so, but that's, like you said, other topic, um, but interesting. So it probably people are peak like, okay, hold on a second. Like if I was diagnosed with PCOS, how do I know that's not true? Or if I have HA, like what, what are you meaning? <laughs> how do I know? Yes. So they're very, I'm um, actually, it was a couple weeks ago, I recorded a podcast with a PCOS dietitian. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air, but if you go to my podcast, the period recovery podcast, you might be able to catch my episode and we'll go into more detail because I don't want to spend our whole episode on diagnosing or what one is what, but uh, a big one is, do you have an absent period? Like not, are you getting cycles every now and then, but do you have an absent period? And PCOS is actually diagnosed um, based off of two out of the three criteria of um, heritwism mm-hmm. uh, or um, elevated androgens. So testosterone levels, typically a woman or person with PCOS will have elevated androgens or testosterone levels. Um, and also will have abnormal hair growth, which is the hair twism. Um, women with HA won't have elevated testosterone levels, will not have abnormal hair growth. And But both of them, so this is where it gets a little confusing, and this is where a lot of women that are diagnosed with PCOS when it's really HA is because the doctor is going off of the ultrasounds of seeing all these tiny little cysts in their ovaries. So they're seeing cysts, which are also, or excuse me, which aren't really cysts, they're follicles. Mm -hmm. So what happens with a woman with HA is that those follicles will remain in her ovaries because they can't go anywhere else because there's no hormones there. Like there's no hormones to progress them to the next phase in your menstrual cycle. So the next phase in your menstrual cycle, you have your follicular phase, then you have your ovulatory phase, and then your luteal phase. So you can't get past that follicular phase because there is not enough hormones flowing through your body to grow those follicles to an appropriate side to release an egg. Now, someone with PCOS can also have these multiple follicles, but what they will usually have accompanying with them is the abnormal hair growth and or the um, elevated androgens, so elevated testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a a diagnostic criteria, um, and the doctor should be diagnosing you out of two out of three, and the last one I didn't mention is an absent or a regular period, which you can have both with HA and PCOS. So many women with HA will have normal to low levels of FSH, LH, and estrogen. Women with PCOS tend to have normal to high FSH, LH, and um estrogen. So it's, they're very similar. So what I want to get more into detail and talking, um, is more of the physical, um, 
signs and symptoms and the mental signs and symptoms of um, what is usually accompanying with HA or disordered eating or eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Right. Because all that stuff you just mentioned probably went over people's heads. Like, what is that? But um, yes. you know, it's, it, that's, that's all stuff, honestly, that um, you probably need to go to a doctor to get your hormone levels tested and really get yes. more diagnostic testing. And, you know, as anyone's listened to the podcast knows, like I have, I had PCOS. So um, that's all stuff that I found out in the fertility clinic and found out all the levels and it takes a lot of diagnosing and a lot of testing. So um, if any of you listening are really curious, it, it does take a lot more than just listening to Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, none of which I'm giving is medical advice, um, just based on what I've seen in my practice. And both with PCOS and HA, they're both diagnoses of exclusion, meaning you're, you want your doctor to rule out other things that could be causing an abnormal or missing period as well. So I just want to put that out there. Okay, so getting into yes, like what are, what are people seeing in their day to day lives? Like what's happening? <sighs> so much. Um, and I just want to you know kind of give a little bit of background. My and I know you're you have already um, you know explained my bio, but I was a woman who suffered from HA, <sighs> and this was over 10 years ago and there was nothing around. Like Mm. it was the textbook like, oh, you don't have an eating disorder. And I mean, I went to school, I was, I'm a dietitian. I went to school for nutrition and it's like, oh, how didn't I know that I had this? Well, what I learned in college was that you need to have, you know, a very low BMI, you need to be anorexic, you need to either be a like really crazy athlete, um, low body fat percentage, X, Y, and Z. So when I found this out, I was like, no, no, no. Like this doesn't fit me. Like I don't fit this criteria. My BMI is normal. I exercise on a regular basis, but not too much. Mind you, I was exercising like two hours a day. Um, (laughs) And I eat really healthy. Well, that's what society tells us. We must eat lots of vegetables and very clean. And so... I was caught up in, I would say I was orthorexic, mm-hmm. um, never diagnosed with, you know, an eating disorder, but as a dietitian, I can say I had, I was either orthorexic or had very orthorexic tendencies. So that's, you know, really the want and need or fixation on being really healthy. And of course I had this image to uphold as a dietitian, so I couldn't gain weight. And so anyway, I thought this could never be me. I ate 1500 calories each day. Um, and I wasn't losing any weight. So I thought, no, 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 no. Like I, if I wasn't eating enough, I'd be losing weight. Like, isn't that how it works? And no, it doesn't. Um, and so I finally, after being misdiagnosed with PCOS and taking my HA deeper, um, because I thought back then PCOS diagnosis was, you know, to make sure you eat carb controlled, you exercise daily, mm-hmm. really was super, super healthy. So this fed my behaviors of, you know, my timing of eating, you know, I couldn't eat if I was hungry unless it was 10 o'clock and it was time for a snack. You know, I couldn't not miss a workout each day. So these things that I'm going to go into are something I 
experience myself and are quite normal in our society today. So sometimes it's hard to really distinguish that your behaviors are truly making you unhealthy and Mm -hmm. making your period go missing. So I'm going to name a few things. And if any of this resonates with you, I don't want you to feel guilty, you know, because you only know what you know when you know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there was too many no's. Um, but, you know, our our society uh, preaches, you know, eat less, move more, and do more. And so it makes it really difficult to know that it doesn't have to be that way. And it's really not normal to be eating 1,500 calories and working out two hours a day or when you go to the gym, if you miss the day, the next day that you're feeling, you know, guilty by it. So some of the behavioral things that, you know, I see in my practice and I've also experienced in the past was definitely this regular exercise. Mm -hmm. When I say regular exercise, there was a time where I wasn't working out two hours a day. Maybe it was an hour a day, but I never had any rest days. My rest days were still walking or doing something that was not as intense as my sweaty hit workouts. So rest days is one of the things, feeling guilty if you don't work out Mm -hmm. or your day is completely ruined if you don't work out. Um, And choosing exercise over other things in your life. So I could remember back in the day where on a Friday night where I should be having fun with my friends, this is before I had children, I should be hanging out with my friends, having fun. But instead... I was in bed by, you know, nine o'clock so I could get up on Saturday at 5 a.m. to go work out for two hours. And so, you know, things like that. And, it, you know, it's it's not to say that that's a bad thing if you have exercise in your life and, you know, it's a part of your routine. But if I stayed out late and I didn't get to go to that workout, I mean, my whole Saturday would have been ruined. Like I wouldn't have been able to enjoy my Saturday. So that's kind of where the red flag comes in. I'll flash forward to today if I don't even work out on Saturdays anymore. But if I did plan to work out and I ended up missing it, I'd be like, heck yeah, I had fun with my friends. Mm-hmm. This is way better than working out. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a little bit of a red flag in counting exercise only if. So what do I mean by that? Only if is like, you get a sweat in only if it's a hit workout only if you know you feel like you just got beaten to a pulp after mm-hmm. um and so exercise should be something where you're like oh i'm going for an exercise and it doesn't have to be anything um and it could be low intense so that's a little bit of the behavioral kind of side of the exercise component and For those of you that are listening and are like, well, I exercise for stress relief, (laughs) which was totally me. I exercise for stress relief. You know, I at one point found myself going to the gym for two hours in the morning, working an eight hour, nine hour shift as a clinical dietitian, which was I was on my feet most of the day and then coming home and running three or four miles. I had a stressful day at work. I got to go for a run. So that using exercise as a stress relief or as your only form of stress relief um, is going to worsen your missing period Mm -hmm. um, if you have one. And I do want to take a quick side note. People that are on birth control pills, 
will tend to get unless their HA is very severe or eating disorders very severe. They'll still have a bleed on birth control pills, but that bleed is not a real bleed. It's a synthetically induced bleed. So many women, myself included, will go years with a missing period and not know because they're on the pill. So I just want to throw that out there because that's a, a big thing that I see. So now into the component of healthy eating. So, you know, healthy eating looks different to a lot of people, but for those that are, are if you want to say, caught up in diet culture, Healthy eating is really limiting calories, limiting portions, limiting food groups, only eating at certain times. And again, I can use myself as such a great example. Um, when I used to work in um, the hospital as a clinical dietitian, I would get breaks at certain times, but I could make my own breaks. But if it wasn't 10 o'clock for my morning snack, like if I was hungry at nine, there was no eating at nine. Mm-hmm. You had to wait until 10 o'clock. That's what, that's the rule I had for myself. So lots of rules around food, around times of food, um, things like, oh, I can't have a bagel twice in one day, or I can't have strawberries twice in one day. So those are some that's just scratching the surface with certain kind of food rules. Um, A lot of times some people will save their calories all for the end of the day because they're scared to eat throughout the day. So intermittent fasting is another thing. You know, I'm doing this for health. It's intermittent fasting. There's been studies on it and blah, blah, blah. Don't get me started there. (laughs) I see your face. You're (laughs) laughing along with me. Um, So things like that, that may start out really innocent for us um, or potentially not so innocent. Uh, And, you know, once we start seeing and hearing people say, oh, you look so good or, you know, um, you're so disciplined and we get all this positive reinforcement, it really makes it hard to hear, like, if you're hearing this for the first time, you're just learning about HA, that, wait, what, because what I'm going to tell you and how to heal it, um, you're going to be like, no, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense at all. So stay tuned. We'll talk more about, you know, how do we overcome this? Um, and really a big um, behavioral aspect, too, is avoiding um, social situations. And whether it's avoiding them, not going to them, or Like I was just talking to a client of mine, she said in the past, you know, if friends randomly invited me to lunch, I would not go. And it just was just too random. I didn't plan for it. You know, now if they asked me a week ahead of time, I might have went because then I could have researched the menu ahead of time. I could have made sure I was eating a certain way um, throughout the day to plan for this. And luckily now she's like, They called me that day and I went and I had pizza. So, um, you know, which, which is awesome. But those little things that, you know, I've mentioned, which really add up to a lot of big things are something to be attentive to because it's extremely normalized in our world today to be like, oh, I'm so hungry and I just ate. Well, instead of someone saying like, you should eat 
if you're hungry. They're like, oh, chew a piece of gum or drink some water. Like you can't really be hungry. You just ate. And the fact is, if you are hungry and you just ate, you really are hungry. And if you're thinking of food, maybe your belly isn't even growling, but you're just merely thinking of food, that is another huge sign that you really are hungry. And some will call it mental hunger. And mental hunger is real hunger. Like it's the same thing. Your body's just being really smart and not making your belly growl because that costs more energy, more burning of energy to the body. And it starts to strategize and be like, oh, I'm going to just get her to think of food now. So, um, yes, mental hunger is a real thing. So, yeah, so those are just probably scratching the surface of behaviors and things that could lead to HA. Um, Definitely not all inclusive, but those are some definitely red flags to look out to. And some of the other physical signs and some of which you would have to go to the doctor to see. But like I mentioned in the beginning, um, low to normal lab levels. So your estrogen, your FSH, your LH, and um, your uterine lining typically is um, very thin with HA, which they can tell by an ultrasound. Um, those polycystic appearing, appearing ovaries, no cervical mucus or lack of. So that's if I guess another term for it would be discharge. Um, so not seeing any in your underwear or when you go to the bathroom. Um, and even though, you know, some women with HA can still have cervical mucus or discharge. Um, but if you're not getting a period, that's a red flag. Um, even if your doctor says it's not, because a lot of doctors will say, oh, you know, you're fine. Just go on the pill. You're a healthy weight. You're normal weight. Um, this only happens in athletes or you're an athlete. This is normal. A missing period is not normal. No matter what, no matter what, unless you are like maybe like 75 years old, and we can confidently say that you're in menopause. Um, but other than that, oh, or if you're pregnant. Um, so, you know, other than that, a missing period is never, never, ever, ever normal. Um, undiagnosed infertility. So, so many people out there that are wanting to get pregnant can't all because they are not eating enough and they are not resting enough. And thus it impairs ovulation and the proper hormones needed to produce an optimal level of sex hormones. And unfortunately, many fertility doctors, and I don't think I've met, mm, I've had a couple clients that have said, oh yeah, my doctor said I had HA and is a fertility doctor, but fertility doctors are in the business of fertility, not of trying to help you figure out why you're infertile. Um, and so you know, your undiagnosed infertility. I've had so many clients fall pregnant just by eating enough and resting their body enough. And that helped them avoid IVF, fertility meds, because that, you know, um, that's a whole nother mental part to that stuff too. So um, no libido. So if you're, I know I was one of those women back in the day where I'm like, oh, like, I don't, I wouldn't even care if sex didn't exist. Like I don't, had no desire. And I just thought that was my personality. Like I'm just not into it. Well, 
come to find out was because I had no sex hormones and my body wasn't going to give me any kind of libido because it thought it wasn't safe enough for me to have kids. So it's really your sex hormone shutting down is a survival mechanism for your body. And so also another thing I want to throw out there, um, progesterone. So a lot of people will be put on progesterone to see if they get a withdrawal bleed. And which can be beneficial in sometimes diagnosing HA, um, but also too, regardless if you get a bleed or you don't get a bleed, you're not getting a natural period anyway, so you still have to do the required work to get your period back, which I'll talk about in a few. Um, Another thing, sometimes these things happen, um, not all um, at the same time, or sometimes none of them will happen at all. Sometimes all of them will help them happen, but osteoporosis, osteopenia, um, stress fractures, feeling cold all the time, tiredness, digestive issues. Uh, there's, a, I think, a trend going, I don't know if it's on TikTok or on Instagram, but hot, hot girls have IBS. I don't know if you've seen that. What? Yeah, hot girls have IBS. Well, what is that about? <laughs> I know. And so pretty much it's just saying like these hot girls that are like, you know, super fit and like, you know, what sexy bodies are idolized as being thin, you know, having abs, that all these girls have IBS. And here's the thing. These girls that are experiencing these this IBS are likely, which you know, there's there's real IBS, but a lot of IBS and digestive issues are induced from not eating enough and um, having a low energy availability from too much exercise. So digestion issues is definitely usually something that comes along, not caused by HA, but it's caused by underfueling. Um, I know, I still see your face as a hot girl IBS. I know, I know. It's <laughs> like, what? What? I mean, it, it never ceases to amaze me things that, that are happening. So, um, of course, tiredness. But tiredness, let me say, doesn't always happen because we are jacked up on stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. A lot of times women that will start to recover from HA and start to eat differently and rest more, they'll find themselves become even more tired, which is super frustrating because it's like, well, I was less tired, but you were running off of adrenaline, cortisol, sex hormones, not like actual real energy. So um, brittle hair, skin, nails, thinking about food often and um, low to normal body weight. So those are just, again, me scratching the surface with lots of, you know, the physical signs um, and symptoms. But the last component that I wanted to chat about was, you know, the psychological component. And that's really important because most women, I like to say, and I've said this on a few podcasts, that all as women with HA or disordered eating are so very alike in our perfectionist tendencies, mm-hmm. type A personalities that if we went to a tropical island, well, I want to go to the tropical island, but... <laughs> If we all went to an island together, we'd be the most efficient, you know, perfect island out there and we'd all get along so well because we're just so structured and just so type A. So that, you know, perfectionist tendencies, not being able to relax, always feeling like they have to move, 
someone with um, anxiety, many um, struggling with disordered eating, eating disorders, or HA have more anxiety. And that, you know, could be an underlying disorder, of course, um, which I'm not there to diagnose, but I can tell you many of the women I work with, after they start to eat enough and rest more, their anxiety levels start to go down. And that's in part to their stress hormones. Their fight or flight um, mode has been kind of turned off. So um, if you're someone that's stressed out really easy, I remember a client just telling me, she's like, you know, I used to get really mad when there was something on my coffee table that was not in the right place, like even off an inch, like it would bother the heck out of me. Now I can sit there. It could be across the table where it usually is, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> and so these little simple things, which, you know, sound so silly, um, feel a lot bigger than they, they really are. So, of course, body image issues and, you know, past trauma, um, which many of us suffer from that have had an eating disorder, disordered eating in some context. So that is like... HA in a nutshell um, of, you know, some of the things to look out for. And um, I'd be happy to, you know, go into detail of any of them or we can talk about, all right, well, now that I think I might have this, how the heck do I get rid of it? Yeah, you know, it's just you were talking, I'm just going, it sounds, I mean, it, it, it so much of it sounds like everybody who's got an eating disorder, right? Like it's just, right. A lot of it, just the perfectionism, the compulsion with the exercise, the need to exercise. If you don't, it's the ramifications of feeling guilty and needing to exercise more. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening are going, yes, yes, yes. Right. Um, and um, and so it does get confusing, right? Because society does really praise and um, just support people in engaging in so much of this. And so it does get confusing. Um, you know, Absolutely. I have people in my office going, why well, so confusing? It seems like, you know, society saying, you know, much like you were saying, you know, my, my, you can read my face, right? Like intermittent fasting seems like it's a quote unquote healthy thing to do or exercising so much seems like it's quote unquote healthy to do. So how do people really tease out like what's healthy for me to do and what's actually hurting my body. I know it is so, so confusing. And I mean, it was confusing for me for a really long time. And when I was diagnosed with AJ, I was just like, no, like this doesn't add up, especially as a dietitian. Like I went to school for five years and learned all this stuff. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. you know? And Gosh, I hope they change curriculum. Um, but anyways, you know, it just, it didn't make sense. And it was really confusing, really, for a really long, long time. Um, and some things that have helped me, obviously, you know, furthering my my education, you know, continuing education, learning about, you know, the other side of dieting, which is called, you know, anti-diet or um, not diet culture. So you might I don't know if you talk about that a lot, oh, yeah. uh, Christina, or not diet culture. Um, and so, you know, things things like that, I just really filled myself with the other side of 
nutrition, the side where there can be unicorns and butterflies that you can still maintain a quote unquote healthy you know, way of eating, healthy way of exercising, and be free of all of those damn thoughts that occur in our minds on a, like, secondly basis. Um, so, you know, I, I hear you, and if you are feeling confused, um, you know, start to to educate yourself and seek support um, from, you know, people that can help you. And I'm not talking, like, you know, your best friend or maybe your husband, but like somebody that can professionally support you um, and really debunking and giving you the truth behind um, a lot of things that you hear um, in the world. And I do want to say what even makes it more confusing, Christina, is our healthcare community. And I don't want to say everybody, they're not, not everybody, but you know, in my practice, in my experience, more medical professionals than not are unaware of, you know, HA and will tend to, you know, treat with the birth control pill, which mm-hmm. now studies show that it doesn't protect the bones like we once thought um, if the person is under fueling. So, um, you know, or telling the patient like it's no big deal or telling the patient like, oh, you keep exercising and eating healthy. You sound like you're doing really great. Mm-hmm. You know, come back in three months or come back in six months. Um, so, you know, it's it's this HA, you know, disordered eating, eating disorder problem is, is bigger. Um, and it's starting, you know, from so many different places. We could, you know, have a separate podcast about this, which I'm sure you have a million different episodes. But, um you know, our medical community definitely makes this a little bit harder to navigate, especially if we were raised with the school of thought that we listen to what our doctors say. And if our doctors say one thing, that means that they are 100% right when they're just humans like you and I. And I know for you, Christina, like if someone was asking you, you know, to educate them on kidney disease, right? Or like talk about it. You'd be like, okay, like, you know, I maybe know about it. And, you know, same thing for me. If someone was like, oh, Cynthia, you know, I want you to um, help me with nutrition for gout. Um, And gout, it's just, um, I'm not even going to go into what it is. It's the first thing that came to my mind. I'd be like, "Um, I, I, I am not an expert in that. And so, you know, everybody isn't an expert in everything. And you know your body best. And if you're not sure if you know your body, then reaching out um, to someone who could support you and um, help you figure out and advocate for yourself uh, to, to find out what's really going on. Because, oh, I didn't even get into the fun part of <clears throat> what happens if you let HA, a missing period, go on for a long time. And osteoporosis, osteopenia, infertility, heart disease. They're now studying a lot of um, how lack of estrogen is playing a critical role in women's heart health and um, cognitive disorders later on, Alzheimer's. um, And that's just the biggies, right? Those are like the big big, big health problems. And, you know, then there's the smaller ones where, 
you know, digestive issues, which maybe not be, it will be so small, you know, lack of libido, just things that are affecting your everyday life. But mm-hmm. that estrogen that you don't have, if you don't have a period is so crucial in your health, so crucial and can, you know, just affect so many things in a negative way. So those are some of the downfalls. Um, there really is no, there really is no benefits to having HA. Um, some, you know, I'll get comments on my Instagram sometimes and they'll say, oh, I'm so glad I don't have my period. And it's like, okay, so you're mm-hmm. so glad that you're putting yourself at risk for this, this, and this, and this. Um And, you know, I once too thought way back when, because nobody taught me about periods and menstrual health and all that and how important it it was, Um, because I too was like, oh, nice, I don't have my period, like, awesome. And this wasn't, you know, before I knew I had a problem, it was like, oh, cool, like, am I having a period? Like, this is convenient. Mm -hmm. When it's just, it's so much more than convenience. And I think anyone who has suffered from a lack of and know now that it's a problem are going to be so excited to have a period each month. I know I do. I know to this day, I've had a regular period for a really long time now. And each month I'm like, yes, this is awesome. (laughs) Well, not when I'm getting cramps, but um, yeah. So aside from that, um, do you want me to get into, all right, how can we... How can we resolve this? Because it's it's definitely resolvable. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, just really quick, because I know some people might might be asking, uh oh, what if I'm on that pill that I just keep taking and taking and taking mm. and I never get my period? And I like that. I, I want to keep doing that because I like having no period for forever and ever and ever. Yeah, that is a great question. So Again, I can't tell you like to go on or off the pill. I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you that without being off of the pill, you're not going to know if you're progressing to get your period back. So if you're like, all right, I know I have a problem. This sounds like me. I'm going to go off the pill to see, you know, do talk to your doctor first. Discuss this with your doctor. You should always review stuff with your 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 medical, but it's hard to tell. So what I tell my clients, it's, you know, you can continue on the pill if you want to, but it's really hard to tell um, if you're making uh, steps towards getting a regular natural menstrual cycle when you're on the pill. So things like what I look for in my clients is cervical mucus, increasing different changes, um, breast tenderness, libido. Um, Those are just a few of the things that I'll look out for which is you can't tell on the pill um, because it's suppressing ovulation. Um, So like if you like not getting a period, I hear you, like it is like not the most fun thing to have. But if you feel like you can resonate with a lot of things that I'm chatting about in, in your behaviors of around food and exercise, you know, it's, it's worth exploring um, because, you know, again, the pill does not protect your bones like we once thought it was if you are underfueling, if you are truly underfueling. You have to have adequate levels of energy availability for the pill to even protect. Um, so does that answer? Yeah. Your yeah, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. Let's get to like, what on earth do people do? Like, what? Yeah. So what I'm going to explain is just going to be more from the dietitian component, the nutrition component. Mm -hmm. I believe there's a lot more that 
should go into HA recovery because again, we lost our periods because we were not eating enough and we were exercising too much. But why were we not eating enough and exercising too much? What are the behaviors behind that? You know, so exploring that is important. And sometimes depending what it is, it may take external help along with uh, a medical professional that knows about HA, such as a therapist, um, because a lot of times it is it is very behavioral and it's more than just the food and the exercise component. So I'm going to just talk about the food and exercise component because that's my area of expertise. So eating enough is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might say, well, how do I know if I'm eating enough? Everybody right. is different. Um, there is a book called No Period Now What by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi. Have you ever heard of it before? No. So it's a really great book. Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, also now known as Dr. Nicola Sykes, she wrote the book. It's called No Period Now What? And it has like everything you need to know about HA, Um, the science behind it, and it's a really great book. So in that book, and I'm just going to use calorie levels for context. I'm not a fan of counting calories. I don't encourage my clients to count calories. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> yes. And, and in context, I'm just going to use it just, just for numbers. And I don't like to talk numbers, but I want to kind of give you guys a, a better picture of um, how much you need to eat. So Recommendations, and this was Dr. Nicola Rinaldi. Um, she compiled some studies and found that 2,500 calories is like a, a, you know, a good generalized amount of food that a person might need to recover. So, regardless, you need to eat more than you are. It could be double the amount. It could be triple the amount. Um, you know, it could be just a few minor tweaks and changes. But eating enough is cornerstone because we need to build up our energy availability. So low energy availability is pretty much what you have if you have HA. Your body is shutting down all non-essential functions like your sex hormones, sometimes your digestion, um, and preserving it for your breathing, for your heart beating. And so we need to build up this energy availability. So that means not only eating what our body needs to eat each day, but eating, I can't even call it surplus because you're in a deficit already, right? right? So it's not even surplus. It's enough. We'll just call it enough. So you need to eat enough for your day-to-day functions and also kind of think about putting money into a bank, right? If you keep on drawing money from a bank, you're going to eventually have no money in there to take from. So you have to build that bank back up. And so that requires eating what you need to for day-to-day activities, then some. Mm-hmm. And so... um you know, just using that 2,500 for context likely will mean not eating as many vegetables. Um, And, you know, vegetables are another cornerstone where it's like, my gosh, got to eat vegetables every day to be healthy. And no, you will survive if you go a day, even a week, even a month without eating vegetables. Um, So, you know, switching up and what I encourage my clients to do is focus on the carbohydrates, focus on the fats and some protein. And so a lot of us are heavy, heavy on the protein, the lean proteins, the protein powder, and we really need to be more cognizant on the carbohydrates. Those are the main energy source for the brain. Fats are so important in hormone production. Um, 
So focusing on carbs and fats, eating consistently throughout the day. So not saving all your calories for nighttime, not skipping lunch, not skipping breakfast. I often encourage my clients to eat every two to three hours. And I also encourage them to eat even if they just ate. So meaning if they just had lunch and an hour later, they're hungry. But, you know, my recommendation was every two to three hours, that trumps it. So if you're hungry, you need to eat. Um, and for those of us that are out there that don't have an appetite back yet, that eating consistently and eating more of the carbs and the fat sources will eventually turn your appetite back on. You will eventually become hungry again. So those are some cornerstones. Um, and, uh, you know, eating, of course, breaking the food rules, challenging yourself, um, and then the exercise component. Um, we really want to cut out anything intense. And that I'm going to just define as anything that's getting your heart rate above 100 beats per minute. And you might say, well, I don't know what my, what my heart rate is. So, you know, I know most of us wear a tracker on our wrists, so we can probably tell by then. But <clears throat> rule of thumb is if you're taking a walk with a friend and you try singing a song and you can't like sing it normally or at a understandable the kind of song, mm -hmm. then you're probably walking too fast or doing something, you know, too intense. But then we run into the problem of, okay, well, you know, I heard something say, I just had to cut out my, you know, cardio, my intense. Well, I'm going to go for two hour walks every day. <laughs> no, 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 no. We also have to be cognizant of the frequency and the duration. So not only the intensity, it's the frequency and duration. So I work closely with my clients on that to reduce and eliminate intense exercise um, because it's cornerstone um, also. So the food component, the exercise component, what our body's looking at exercise like, because I know all those say, and I know this is me too, well, I just feel so good after I get a run in or I do a HIIT training. And you do, you absolutely do. But what you're not seeing is the physical stress that's happening to your reproductive hormones while also increasing your stress hormones, which our sex hormones will never turn back on if we continue to keep our stress hormones high, the cortisol and adrenaline. So that's, you know, the importance behind it. And I'll work with them to say like, you know, they're like, well, what am I going to do with my extra time? I used to work out two hours a day. I used to work. <laughs> so we work together and exploring like, what are some other things that you'd like to do? What are some other things that bring joy in your life? Mm -hmm. um, because eventually we want to have this balance where we are able to exercise. We're able to do things that make us happy and not feel guilty about not exercising on a daily basis. So those are the biggies. Um, and then, you know, working on that mental stress component is, you know, another huge cornerstone. But that too, you know, is not my area of specialty. I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist, psychologist, uh, you know, whatever kind of doctor that works with mental health. I'm, I'm not that person. But I can certainly help you make mindset shifts. But if it's deeper, if you feel, I, I all of my clients, working with a therapist is like, awesome. And it is such a enhancement to your period recovery journey. So those are really the three biggies is enough food, enough rest, you know, reducing that intense exercise um, or eliminating it. 
and then the mental um, health component of it all. So, and then to not spend too much time fixating on period recovery, because uh, we were used to fixating on food and exercise, and now, you know, we have this other issue. So taking time to take a break from period recovery, too, as well. So that's, you know, again, that's in a nutshell, easier said than done. Oh, yeah. um, and I can tell you, if you haven't gotten this book either, um, Dr. No, no, she's not Dr. Lisa Hendrickson Jack. It's called The Fifth Vital Sign. It's another book. It's all about periods. Like if you want to learn about painful periods, um, endometriosis, like anything, it's it's all in that book. But she has a special few pages on HA and um she really um emphasizes the importance of getting the right support with HA treatment because again, we what I just said is you need to eat more. You need to rest more. You need to pretty much do the opposite of what the rest of the world is doing, which makes it difficult, right? Really difficult to do alone. You know, I'm so glad you said that because I know a lot of what I talk about on this podcast is so counter to what the rest of the world says. And it's so hard to, you know, it's so hard to, to implement some of these things. Cause I know anybody listening, you know, I know when I was in my eating disorder, I would have been like. Oh, that's so scary. How the hell do you do that? Seriously. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking like, how great would it be for somebody to work with you and then somebody like me and have that support of like an, you know, like you, the expert to be like, this is what you need to do. And I know it's scary. Go get support for the anxiety or the fears that come up and learn some other coping skills, some ways to deal with the stress and really just do that give yourself that gift to be able to have a team with you as you're going through it, because you really can't do it on your own, especially living in this world and in this society, which is bombarding you constantly with the messages that everything we're saying to do and you're saying to do is like not okay. And, and kind of counter to everything you want to be doing that maybe you're doing in your life right now. That's so reinforced by, by everything you're reading or hearing. Um, because it's hard. It's so hard. So hard. So hard. And I still, I'm like, how, I mean, how did I recover from HA? Um, and I was able to do that, but I also sought other, you know, professional help for my mental status Mm -hmm. as well in conjunction with, um, and I think, you know, it's possible to recover from HA by yourself. Um, but I find the people that do do that don't make a full recovery. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by full recovery is the ability to live life without constant thoughts of like, should I eat this? Should I not eat that? Can I exercise? Can I do this? Can I, oh my gosh, I just eat that. And I get, you know, these million thoughts that are going through our head because you can have a period and still be having all these thoughts. But wouldn't it be so much more amazing to have a regular cycle, know that you're, you know, physically healthy, but also mentally healthy and you're just able to live the life that you were put on this earth um, to live. Absolutely. I think a great way to end this because that's such a positive, positive message. So, you know, people are probably like, how do I work with her? How do I find her? Um, If if they want to find you, if they want to work with you, how can they do that? 
So I say the best place to find me is usually on Instagram. Um, I have tons, a tons and tons of content there for you guys to comb through. Um, and if you're like, you know what, sign me up yesterday, Cynthia, I, we need to talk. There is a link in my bio on Instagram um, that will give you a direct link to my calendar and we can set up a uh, coaching, or excuse me, discovery call where, you know, I'll tell you a little bit more about me. I'll want to learn a little bit more about you to see if, you know, um, my coaching would be a good fit for you. And then also, if you want to go to my website, it's periodnutritionist.com. And I have more information about, you know, things that I offer. I also have a podcast, um, which I know so many people find helpful, you know, just being able to relate. Like you said, like, in a world that is doing the opposite of what we need to be doing to truly be living a healthy life, um, knowing that others are going through it and hearing their stories are really powerful. So yeah, so those are some places that you can find me, but I am so appreciative that I was able to hop on the podcast with you, Christina, and share, you know, this, this information that is just so important, um, that we don't, you know, normally talk about or hear about um, in the world today. No, and I'm so grateful for all of the information you shared. I know we could we could talk for forever. Seriously, there's so much to share. Um, and I'm just, I'm so grateful we finally got this topic on the podcast. It's so needed. And I know that whoever's listening today got so much out of everything you shared. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'll have all your information in the show notes. So if you didn't get that all written out when she shared it. Don't worry. I'll have it all there for you guys. So thank you again so very much. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.